0: Genesis chapter 20, Abraham and Abimelech. We're going to read the first seven verses and then I'll start making some comments and trying to tie these things together. But again, if, there has been, if there's been if been a big banner that we could have put over our Genesis study so far, yes, I do want you to see how all of Scripture is one great big story. Yes, we want to see... Uh, how Jesus and the gospel has been presented, even over these first 19 chapters of Genesis, but we we've, we've talked about three words: God is God. God can do as He pleases, when He pleases, how He pleases. But the fact that the fact that God is God that should shape our entire worldview, how we view the world, how we view existence, how we view family, how we view marriage, how we view life itself should be shaped by the fact that God is God. That same three word phrase, except changing it to God is sovereign, that is another phrase that we have used often throughout this study and really God is God encapsulates that, but I do think that it does us well to become familiar with the word sovereign and to understand that God reigns supreme and He has full authority over all creation. And even in this narrative that we're going to look at today, we're going to see God as sovereign. And that He does as He wishes with the inhabitants of earth and in heaven. So, with that thought in mind, we begin chapter 20. We're going to, again, we're going to read the first seven verses. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you will surely die, you and all who are yours. So out of the gate, we have... This is Abraham, and I'm going to use the word scheming, planning, concocting something. But Abraham, scheming for a second time. We know that he did this exact same thing uh, with Pharaoh in Egypt. He comes to Abimelech, king of Gerar, and he says, this is not my wife, she's, she's just my sister. And here, we we know from Abimelech's response in the dream, that Sarah actually said, yes, this is he's my brother. And as we work through the rest of this chapter, when we get to the end, you're going to see that not only do they not only do they make it through this narrative, but God is actually going to bless Abraham in some, uh, in some means of possession and, and some monetary means. Uh, he's going to provide for Abraham and Sarah and even some land uh, that is going to be theirs after this event. So Abraham schemes, uh, call it a lack of faith, call it trusting in his own plans, but he schemes again And the outcome of this is actually going to be God is faithful. I know that comes as a shocker. Even though Abraham tries to take things into his own hands, him and Sarah plot and they scheme, God still sovereignly is carrying out His plans and His promises that He had given to Abraham at the very start. But don't let your mind stop there as you're going backwards and considering the rest of Genesis. God is sovereignly carrying out His plans and promises that He has given from the start. Even right after the fall, He said that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And throughout Genesis, we have been given different um, family trees, different genealogies. And if we were to trace all of those back, even now with Abraham, we we could say plainly, "Oh, God is still carrying out that plan." And then with Abraham, he had told Abraham, you and Sarah will have a son. He's a promised son. He is a son that I will give you. Even though you're almost a hundred, Abraham. And even though your wife is barren. And on top of being barren, she is past the age of childbearing. I will give you a son. Even though Abraham and Sarah had tried to have the son of promise in their own ways. And Sarah said, here, take, take Hagar. Take her. Maybe God will give us a son through her. And Ishmael was born. But God said, that is not the son that I have promised. I will give you a son. Even though Abraham and Sarah laughed at the news that it really will be a son that God gives them through Abraham and through Sarah. No other parties, no other human beings. But God provides a son for them. Abraham laughed and Sarah had a separate account where she laughed at the news that God indeed would bring a son. None of those things. Even going through a land in Egypt. Where something danger could have befallen Abraham and Sarah. Even now with this king. The fact that there was a scheme, a plan. He was not honest with this king. Even though there could have been danger. We, we think that way in a natural way. There could have been danger. There could have been something that happened to them. None of this could keep God from accomplishing His purposes and fulfilling His promises. And on top of that, again, at the end of this, we're going to see that Abraham and Sarah actually have more at the end of this than they went into this situation possessing. But Abraham schemes a second time. God protects and provides for them. Again, this is the second time In a situation such as this where we are seeing plainly God is in control. God is protecting them. God is providing for them. This time God Himself actually visits the king in a dream. And He explains to the king that He is the reason. God is the reason that this king did not sleep with or even touch Sarah. Because when God initially comes to him, he says, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. And Abimelech says this, Will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say, She's my sister, and she said, He's my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Now that's a true statement. Abimelech said, In the integrity of my heart, I have done this. I haven't touched her. But notice what God says. Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then return the man's wife for he is a prophet so that he will pray for you and you will live So first and foremost, what's most important as pertains the the narrative that we're, that we're covering here in the life of Abraham. Isaac is, is going to make his grand appearance in the very next chapter. If you have headings in your Bible, if you were just to peek at chapter 21, you would probably see the birth of Isaac or the birth of, of the promised son or something along those lines. And so these events seem to be fairly close in proximity as far as the timeline in which they fall. Let's suppose that if things were left up to chance, if things were left up to coincidence or anything of that nature, if things were left up to fate, suppose that Abimelech had slept with Sarah. And even after that one event, she went back to Abraham, but but this particular night, let's just say that, that he did go into her and he knew her. And shortly thereafter, it comes to pass that Sarah is with child. Now, God has already said that I will give you a child, but but there's this stain, there's this blot on the narrative. For the rest of their lives, and anybody who who would read this narrative would say, well, God said that He put that child in her womb, but it, it could be the son of Abimelech. Because you know that thing that happened? It it could be that that's Abimelech's child. But because, because God is sovereign and He has full reign and control over all of His creation, God made sure that no such thing could have ever happened so that no such questions could ever even be asked. He made sure that the king did not even so much as touch her. So that it could never be said when the child was born, well, they say that God gave them a child. But it could be Abimelech's. It could be, you know, when they got there, Abraham said, not my wife, that's my sister. And Abimelech took her. And it could be that something happened that night and Abimelech is the father. You say, well, at the end of the day, if they had a child through something that happened like that, what would be the big deal? I mean, Abraham and Sarah still would have raised a child. The big deal would be, that's not what God promised, and that's not how God said the child would come to be. It's also a big deal because that child would not have had direct ties back all the way back to Genesis 3 where we say, okay, God said the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And we can trace that lineage and genealogy all the way through if you insert Abimelech into this, even that genealogy, even that lineage might be thrown off a bit. But the key thing, the simple straightforward thing to notice is simply this. God had said that the child would come through Abraham and Sarah, not Abimelech and Sarah, not Abraham and Hagar. Right? God is capable of fulfilling His promises and fulfilling His Word without the assistance, without, without the interference of man. And even in the sense where King Abimelech, so we're not, it's not like King Abimelech is some great God-fearing king or anything of that matter. God is still in control. And even when that king says, in the integrity of my heart, I have done this thing, the Lord says, you're right. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. I made sure you did not touch her. God who is in full and sovereign control. It will never be a question as to who brought Isaac into existence. There is also noted in here, Abimelech is told, Return the man's wife and so that he will pray for you. And you will live. God has full authority and control over Abimelech's life. Over the life of all in his household. God has authority over the life of Isaac. The life of Abraham. The life of Sarah. God has authority over all life. Period. And that is on display in this passage as well. In the middle section of this chapter, verses 8 to 13... Abimelech returns returns Sarah, the wife of Abraham. But he asks Abraham uh, in verse 10, he says, Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. So fear, not knowing what would happen. He said, there's no fear of God here. So that's what led him to, to do this. So, Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness that you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. So now verse 14. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham. And returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said. Behold my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. So now God has provided them land. To Sarah he said. Behold I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence. In the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone. You are vindicated. So now a token or a sign of her innocence. The king letting everyone know. I did not touch her. She is innocent. It's a decree of the land if you will. And a thousand pieces of silver. Are given. To Abraham. Then Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech. On the spot. And also healed his wife. And female slaves. So that they bore children. For. The Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. God has full reign and control over the womb of a woman. Over all wombs of all women. God has full reign and full control. He can shut the womb up so that it cannot hold and build and nurture life. Or he can open the womb. So that it will conceive and bear life. God is in control of every last detail. Not only of this narrative. Not only in the life of Abraham and Sarah. Not only in the life of Abimelech and his household and his wife. God is in full control of everything in our lives still today because He reigns as the one true sovereign over all creation. If this is the God that we serve, if we serve the one true sovereign over all creation, if we serve the one true Creator, the one true God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, if this is still the same God that we serve today, don't you see how that should ease are the doubts of life, the fears of life, the anxieties of life. Don't you see how we ought to be able to rest in the sovereignty of God and to trust in the goodness and the power and the authority of our good and gracious God? Who has promised us, who has promised us that all things work together for our good. See, the only way that we can really have confidence in that promise is if God is sovereign. It would do God no good and it would do us no good to promise us, I work all things together for good for those who love me and are called according to my purposes. It wouldn't mean anything for a God who was not sovereign over all things to make that promise. Then He would be reduced to saying, I will do my best to work all things together for good, but some things are simply outside of my control. Only a God who is fully sovereign can say, all things do certainly work together for good for those who love me and are called according to my purposes. And that is the reason why we can trust and rest in that promise because we can say, even the trials of life, even the suffering of life, My Sovereign Father has said that all things work together for good, and I can trust in that because He reigns over all things. See, it becomes easy for us with a passage like this. Again, we could say, well, didn't Abraham know that? I mean, what was Abraham scared of? Did Abraham really think that that king might kill him? God had promised he would have a son. The son hasn't come yet. God promised him that he would be the father of a great nation. That hasn't even begun to happen. God promised him that there's a land that he was preparing for him and that God was literally taking him to that land that he had prepared for him. That hadn't happened yet. So what was Abraham scared of? I mean, didn't Abraham understand that God's got this? It's easy to do that. But we also need to take a step back and say, oh yeah, well, that's right. If, If Abraham shouldn't have done that, then I probably shouldn't be worried about the stuff that I'm worried about. I shouldn't be as stressed or anxious about things that I'm stressed about or anxious about. Because if God had it then, He's still got everything now. And if God tells me that He's working all things together for good now, He did work all things together then. And God's got a perfect track record. So I can probably trust Him that even right now, He's still working all things together for good. And I, So we can learn from this. We can say, well, Abraham was foolish. I'm pretty foolish too. And no offense to anybody here, but you can be pretty foolish too. Why? Because we do doubt. There is the human element. We doubt things sometimes. We get scared of things. Sometimes, to use the phrase, life comes at us pretty fast. And we might find ourselves saying, I don't know what decision to make. I don't know what to do next. I don't know about these things. But only through faith can we say, you know what, even though I don't know I don't know all the details. I don't know the perfect decision to make. I don't know exactly what's going to happen next. Here's what I do know. My sovereign father is working all things together for good. And I can trust in him. And I have a hope that is secure. Because if God is unchanging. If my savior Christ is unchanging. Then I should have an unchanging unshakable hope. And confidence and assurance that. I'm right where God would have me be. And that God even right here in this very moment, even as you're listening to me speak, God is working things together in your life for good and for His purposes if you belong to Him, you love Him and you're called according to His purposes. We can rest in that. You say, well, how do you draw that from this? Okay, well, Abraham and Sarah, they're players in this story, right? They're here. We say, okay, well, we've seen over and over again, God did this for Abraham and Sarah, God did this for him. That's easy to see God's sovereignty over them. Okay, it's easy to see God's sovereignty over the faithful. It's easy to see God's sovereignty over His called people, His chosen people. Well, Abimelech is also a player in the story. Abimelech's wife is mentioned. All of the women of his household are mentioned, and God is sovereign over all of them too. Right? Right? God said, I kept you from touching her. God said, go to Abraham that he may pray for you. Or else you will die. God is sovereign over the life of Abimelech. He's sovereign over the wombs of the women of Abimelech's household. Not to mention, He's sovereign over the womb of Sarah. Sarah who is barren and past the age of childbearing is about to conceive and have a, have a child. God can do as He pleases at any time with the inhabitants of earth and the inhabitants of heaven. Bring back Romans 4. Pull that from your memory. If, if, you, if you've already forgotten it, place it back in there. God who brings into existence things that don't exist. <clears throat> now, with this comes a thought. Some people would say, well, if God is that sovereign, then we're not really doing anything. We're almost like robots. We're not really doing what we want to do or anything. King Abimelech meant what he said. And God didn't tell Abimelech, no, you're wrong. You didn't actually do it in the integrity of your heart. Abimelech said, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And then God said to him, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. So he doesn't correct, he said, no, it wasn't really you, it was me. He says, I know this, and it was I who kept you, who did not let you touch her. It was I who kept you from sinning against me. Now return the man's wife. Something that is at times very difficult for our minds to understand is, God is fully sovereign, and man makes... Conscious decisions for which we are responsible for. Now some people like to say, nope, both of those two things, they can't be true. If God is fully sovereign, then we're not even really making choices and we're just robots and automatons and everything else. Or people will say, well, God is sovereign, but we're free, so sometimes we do things that make God have to change His plans. Or, you know, God's sovereign, but He lets us do things that sometimes it's not a part of His will. If you buy into that... if God is sovereign, but there are things that get it that do interfere with His will, that do get in the way with His will, and if God has to change, you don't have the God of Scripture anymore. You have a false God. It's not the God of the Bible. So the solution is this. Does Scripture plainly teach us that God is sovereign over all things? Yes. Does Scripture also teach us that mankind makes free, using that word... Mankind makes free decisions each and every day and that those two things don't necessarily interfere with one another and cancel the other one out. Yes. Another way to put it is that we are making our own decisions each and every way, each and every day, but that in no way negates the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign even over our free decisions. To use a simplistic illustration, and then I'll actually go to Scripture, which is much more Important, but maybe this will help it stick in your mind a little bit easier. We're all Baptists. We talk about eating a lot. It's Sunday. I'm preaching. Some of you are already thinking about lunch. So let me use an analogy of food. If God knows that next Sunday you are going to have fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and green beans for lunch. Next Sunday. Then guess what? You are going to have fried chicken, mashed potatoes and green beans next Sunday for lunch. Does that mean that you're not going to choose that food? No. Next week, you might think, "Well, you know what I? You know what I got a hankering for today? Fried chicken, mashed potatoes and green beans." But if God knows that's what you're going to have, then when next Sunday rolls around, you're not going to go somewhere and get a burrito. You're going to have fried chicken, Mashed potatoes are great. Why? Because God's knowledge is perfect, and God reigns over all things. And so, but again, you're freely you're going to eat what you want to eat. Those two things don't negate one another. It's going to be that way. To use some biblical examples, don't turn to this one. I want you to write this one down. If you're in the habit of taking notes, if you're not in the habit of taking notes, pull out your phone, type it into your phone, make a uh, make a digital note or something. Isaiah chapter 10. The reason that I want you to remember Isaiah chapter 10 is this. In Isaiah chapter 10, God says plainly that the Assyrians are like the axe or the weapon in His hand. That He is using them. That He sends them to Israel as a, as a punishment to overtake them. That it is God's plan. That, and He even says, I am doing this thing. But then He says... The king of Assyria does not think it so. Or he doesn't realize. The king of Assyria doesn't realize that it's me who's accomplishing these things. The king of Assyria is prideful. He is arrogant. He says, look at the things that I have done. Therefore, I am punishing the king of Assyria for his pride and his arrogance. The reason that I'm using that as an illustration is the fact that God used the Assyrians to do His purposes, to do His will. But how did the king of Assyria, how did the Assyrians, Assyrians, how did they interpret it? They were still doing what they wanted to do. The king of Assyria wanted to overtake another people. The king of Assyria wanted to attack. He was still doing what he freely wanted to do. But ultimately, it was God who was accomplishing His purposes throughout the entire event. Now, I do want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, why would I use that as an example of God sovereignly reigning over all things, but mankind still freely doing what they desire to do? Did God, was it, was it as though God was behind Israel, twisting their arms, so to speak, and making them say, Crucify him, crucify him? No. That's exactly what they wanted. Did God have to twist the arm of of, uh, of Pilate and the Roman Empire to make them crucify Jesus? No, that was they gave the people what they wanted. They freely did that. And notice what Peter says there in the verse Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus was always going to be crucified. And he was going to be crucified at the appropriate time, at the time appointed by God. But in that moment, even though it was a plan according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, Peter says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. They were responsible for their free actions and their free choices that they made to have the Son of God crucified, even though it was according to the definite plan of foreknowledge of God. Because some may say, if you're familiar with the book of Romans, this is a similar appeal. Some may say, well, if it was the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, then why does it really matter that they wanted Him crucified? Because God's will was still being done anyway. They were still responsible for their sinful, rebellious, prideful, arrogant acts. And so we see the sovereignty of God and we see the ability of man to make free choices. Yet the sovereignty of God always reigns supreme over and above the choices of man. And that is key. God's sovereignty does always reign over and above the free choices of man. We see it here. Abimelech said, I didn't touch her in the integrity of my own heart. And God says, I know. And it's because of me that you didn't touch her. I kept you touching her. And both statements are true. Both statements are equally true. Again, at times, that becomes difficult for us to wrap our feeble minds around, but it is true nonetheless. Now, a couple of more examples from the life of Abraham. Did Abraham and Sarah act freely in their plan to include Hagar, which produced Ishmael? Did Abraham and Sarah act freely in doing all that? Yeah. It wasn't as if God was twisting their arm making them do those things. Abraham and Sarah are still freely making decisions. Did any of their free decisions interfere with God's sovereign plan to bring about Isaac in His way? No. Did any of Abraham and Sarah's free decisions interfere with God's plan at all in any way? Where God said, okay, I've got to take a step back and reassess here. No. Not in any way, shape, or form. Did God interfere, so to speak, did God interfere with Abraham and make him tell Pharaoh or make him tell Abimelech, it's not my wife, it's just my sister. No. He did that of His own accord. And we see that ultimately, God's sovereign plan, even these missteps, even these acts of faithlessness, are included in God's sovereign overarching plan for Abraham and Sarah, but even beyond Abraham and Sarah. They're included in his sovereign overarching plan for all nations, for the world. From Ishmael comes who? The Ishmaelites. What good could ever come of the Ishmaelites? Well ultimately once Christ comes it becomes crystal clear. That people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be saved. All who believe, all who call upon the name of the Lord. And that is tied directly to the promise given to Abraham that in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Even those who come from the lineage of Ishmael, who was born out of a lack of faith and trying to take things into their own hands. Even people that come from that line who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, if you zoom out, you can see the sovereignty of God. And even if you zoom in, you can see the sovereignty of God carrying out His good and perfect plans for His people. What does this mean in practicality for us today? We've already covered one thing. It should bolster our faith. It should give us a great confidence that I can rest in the sovereignty of God. I can, I can trust and I can have a hope. He's working all things together for good. Nothing nothing can get in the way of God's plans. Here, here in this, did, <clears throat> did Pharaoh or Egypt get in the way of God's plans? No. Did Hagar and Ishmael, did that little sidestep, did, did that get in the way of God carrying out His plan? No. Did Abimelech? No. Did Abraham and Sarah doubt? Did Abraham and Sarah's laughter keep God from carrying out his promises? No Did Sarah's barrenness keep God from fulfilling his promises? No Did Abraham's old age keep God from fulfilling his promises? No Did sin Did the sin of mankind Keep God from fulfilling his promises? No Did danger Danger to Abraham and Sarah Danger to any of God's people Did that keep God from fulfilling his promises? No Did any interference from mankind or any interference, even from schemes of the devil, has any interference gotten in the way of God fulfilling His promises up to this point in Genesis? No. Spoiler alert. Even to this day and on throughout eternity, no interference, no amount of sin, no amount of danger, no amount of faithlessness, no amount of doubt, no amount of fear, no amount of anxiety, nothing can interfere, nothing can hinder the plan of Almighty God and nothing can hinder Him from fulfilling His promises that He has given to His people. And so we should take great confidence in that. Secondly and lastly, we need to understand this. You are here today at Mendy's Baptist Church. Because when you woke up this morning, you freely decided, I'm going to get ready, I'm going to go to church. Some of us may have begrudgingly made that decision. Well, I guess I need to get ready and go to church. Some of us may have joyfully made that decision. I'm excited to get ready. Some of us may have been spit up on before we came to church this morning. Amen. Different Different things played out before we got here. But you're here today because you chose to be here today. You're also here today, and I'm standing in this pulpit today, because God has sovereignly decreed that we be here today. You and I, in this very moment, we are right where God would have us to be. Here, at Mindy's Baptist. You say, well, I I don't like that. Well, go back to what I just said. Do you like thinking more about the fact that you freely decided to be here? Yes, that's what I like to think about more. I, I decided to be here. It's up to me. Okay, well, who gave you the health to do so? Who gave you the ability to do so? Who made it to where you could be here? You can think about it that way, but it goes beyond that. When you really start to to break it down, you say, you could have been born anywhere for those of us who were born and raised here. You could have been born anywhere, but you weren't. You were born here. You were raised here. Now that you're full grown and you're an adult, you could have taken a job, you could have taken a career that led you elsewhere. But you didn't, you're here. You could have married a spouse from somewhere else, and your spouse might have wanted to move back, and you could have taken a job there again, and ended up somewhere, else. but you didn't. You ended up here. Now, who is over all of those things? And if we say, "Well, it was me. I made those decisions. I did this. I did that," you're putting your confidence and you're putting your faith in the wrong place. Because yes, that's true. We make decisions. But God's sovereignty reigns over all of our free decisions. And we are here today because our sovereign God has decided it is good for us to be here today. If you're a believer here today, then it is good for you to hear these things and to grow in the faith, for your faith to be strengthened, for you to be edified in the faith, for us to consider this, for us to consider the goodness of our God, the faithfulness of God, so our faith can grow and we can be edified. If you're here today and you say, well... I don't even really know if I belong to the family of God. Then God has sovereignly placed you here today to hear of His goodness, to hear of His mercy, and to hear, yes, we're in Genesis 20, but let me just briefly say this. Through His promised Son, Jesus Christ, who was promised firstly in Genesis 3, through that promise that the head of the serpent will be crushed, through Jesus Christ, all who repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ Jesus will never perish but have eternal life. And so it very well may be for those who are unsaved listening here today, that today is the day of your salvation. And God desires for you to know that He commands all people everywhere to repent and be saved. Now that's just for us here today, Sunday morning. But we freely act at every single moment of our life. Tomorrow morning, you'll decide what to eat for breakfast. You'll decide if you want to go to work or call in sick. You'll decide what you want to do with your, with your day. If you're retired, you'll decide what you want to do. Maybe you've already got it planned. But for the believer, we understand, or at least we ought to understand, every single second, every minute, every hour, every day of our life is with a purpose. It's own purpose. And God has put us in that moment and God has given us that moment for His ordained purposes. And even when we slip up, even when we make a mistake, even when we fall, even that fall, even that slip up, even that sin ultimately is included in His plan for us and His sanctifying us and shaping us into the image of Christ. So, how does that help us on a practical level? It helps us understand how we ought to be viewing life and how we, how we ought to view each and every day. We've all heard the phrase, Every day is a gift. Life is a gift. We really need to understand that and think about that in in light of God's sovereignty. We say, oh yeah, God didn't have to give me another day. God didn't have to give me the family that He gave me. God didn't have to put me at Mindy's Baptist Church. God didn't have to do this or do that. But He's sovereign and so He did all these things on purpose. So today is a gift. If I'm a father, I need need to parent in ways that glorify Him. If I'm a husband, I need to be a husband in ways that glorify Him. If I'm a wife, I need to be a wife in ways that glorify Him. I need to be a mother in ways that glorify Him. I need to work in ways that glorify Him. Because He has done these things. He has brought all this together. He is over all things. And we trust in that and we hope in that. But then we also live under the light of that truth. He has saved us, but He has left us here. Why did He leave us here? For the good works that He has prepared for us. Now we have it easy with Abraham and Sarah. We can just read and we know exactly what God had planned for their lives. There's not a one of us here that can say, I know for certainty where I'll be at next year, what's going to be going on in my life. Which family members I still have with me, which family members will have passed and gone on? There's none of us that know all those things. There's none of us that can say that about 5 years from now, 10 years from now. But what we can say for certainty is this. God is sovereign. He's promised that he's wor- he's working all things together for good. He's left us here we are to be zealous for good works. We're to trust him, we're to hope in him, and he has given us his word which tells us what we are to be about. What manner of life we ought to be found living? What are the works that he has for us that we are to be about? And we act those out, we work those out, and we do that with the trust and the confidence and the faith that God is over all things. There's no danger that can come into our lives. There's no uh, there's no schemes or plans or attacks of the devil that can come into our lives that do not first pass under the sovereignty of God. And He says, this is meant to be a part of your life. There is a purpose in this. I have a plan in all of this. And yes, I know that when we think about the dark things of life and the tragic things of life, that's when it becomes really mucky and difficult. You say, I'm all on board with God's sovereignty, but when I think about this one particular aspect of my life, I've got a really hard time thinking that that this is something that God said... I choose for this to be a part of your life. I understand that it becomes difficult when we think about those very, very hard things to say that, God, You you included this in my life. You, you placed this in my life. For, for what For what purpose? Why? And with that, I would simply encourage you and point you to the book of James which literally says, if any of us lacks wisdom... To go and to ask of Him who gives freely. But if God says He works all things together for good. And that He's constantly working all things together for good. And shaping us into the image of His Son. Then that includes even all of life's darkest, most tragic moments. God says, yes, even those, I'm working for good. And only through faith can we say, Amen. Amen. Even in this brief account in chapter 20. Again, to recap briefly just what we see his sovereignty over. Abimelech's life. Abraham and Sarah. The womb of Sarah. The womb of all of Abimelech's household. All of that. God is working. And God is accomplishing His purposes. May we take great confidence in that. May our faith be bolstered. May we consider these things. Maybe you've never really considered God's sovereignty to to that extent before. Maybe you've never really considered the faithfulness of God to that extent before. So may we take these things and meditate on them. May we study these things out in Scripture. Consider them. And at the end of the day, may God be glorified as we meditate on His Word and consider His attributes and consider His goodness, consider His sovereignty. And as we see His faithfulness and His ability to carry out His promises in Scripture, may that give us a greater confidence and trust that He is fulfilling His promises and carrying out His will in our individual lives today. Let's close in a word of prayer.